So I've, uh, I've got the distinct honor and privilege to introduce our speaker. Um, he's a friend for, um, I stopped counting, <laughs> well over 30 years. Um, and you can probably see from, uh, from our beards that um, <laughs> he's got me by quite a few years. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, our speaker this morning is Ken Barrett. Um, he's been a believer since uh, a really young age. He's been preaching since he was 16. Uh, he's a natural leader. Uh, he's an elder, um, itinerant speaker, heads up the board at the Ezekiel Project. He's a youth leader, Bible study leader, you name it. Did you ever run for president? No. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he has a distinct ministry with the youth. He's a high school teacher at Tenafly. And uh, I can say personally um, that I was one of those people that as a youth who was touched by him, and I'll mm. take this a little further, he was probably speaking at our church about 35 years ago. My wife had just gotten saved. She was, uh, she had just become my girlfriend after she got saved. I timed that right. And uh, she said, I like his preaching. Well, like next week or two weeks later, he applies for a job at the high school she's in. She, she goes, you'll never believe who applied for a job at our high school. I'm like who? Like, I'm like, what? Jersey City? So, I don't think he ended up taking the job. I think either Jersey City scared him off or he scared them off. But uh, but ever since then, uh, he's been teaching high school. Uh, he and his wife, Rose, are best of friends. They minister together. And one more fun fact. Yesterday, I was digging through one of my drawers to find some batteries. I found a cassette <laughs> of Ken Barrett's teaching from, from the 80s, Ephesians. I can't see if it's one, two, three. I mean, whoever wrote wrote the label. <laughs> but I found this yesterday. I got a kick out of it. So help me welcome Ken Barrett. Well, first, I want to thank you for the invitation to be here this morning. And uh, when Sam invited me, I was like, uh, could you explain this? Like, what do you guys do? And I was like so impressed with the idea that you guys meet every Friday to fellowship, to to communicate with one another, to support one another, to encourage one another. And I thought to myself how necessary it is in the world that you live today, you know, in terms of that. Um, I'm just going to just take a minute and pray for us and pray for the time we have and then just share what the Lord has been giving for you this morning. Our God and our Father, I thank you for the privilege it is of gathering together like this, that we can still do so freely in our nation and that we also recognize that there are many uh, brothers and sisters around the world where this would be very dangerous to do. And we just want to ask you, Lord, to take the time we have together and to use it, Lord. We confess, Father, we have nothing to give each other. We're really just bankrupt, broken people, and that our sin overwhelms us at times, and we become discouraged, and we don't even know where to turn, and yet you remain constant, you remain faithful. And so, Father, as we have this time together, I just pray that it would be good for us to be here, that it would be a blessing for us to be here, and that there would not be any wasted words, and that we might walk away, you know, better equipped for this day, this week, this weekend with our families, this time with we spend with loved ones. We just really pray that you would help us to be better men. Uh, Lord, we're always looking at ourselves and comparing ourselves and measuring ourselves, and we know that uh, we don't live up to our expectations, and we think, oh, how much less do we live up to yours? And yet we know you are a gracious God. We know that you are a merciful God and that 
that you don't judge us as our sins deserve, but rather you shower us with your love and mercy. You shower us with your grace. Just help us, Lord, to stay in that place where we recognize that. Help us to stay there. Uh, it's easy to move out from that place and to be so performance-based and measure ourselves. And we just really pray that as we are um, meditating your word this morning, we hear your voice, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. I, I confess when Sam was talking about the meeting this morning, I was really struggling with what to talk about, really wrestling with how to present what I'm about, who I am, and do I share testimony? And, and Sam was, don't preach. I don't preach. I don't, don't preach. Okay, take something off the table. And, and I was trying to wonder. Then I started thinking about it, and I realized that most of you or many of you might know my wife better than you'd ever heard of me. Um, my wife is Rose Barrett. She's the director of uh, White Corp Christian Preschool and Kindergarten. Some of you may have had children go through that school. Some of you may have had grandchildren go through that school. Uh, she's been the director there for over 20 years. And as such, whenever we're in gatherings or going out to dinner up in this area or going to Dairy Queen, inevitably some will say, hey, Rose, how are you? So so often I'm just really like Rose's husband. That's how I kind of, I go through life up in this area of the woods. Um, as Sam says, I've been, a, a, I've been sort of bivocational my whole life. I've been a, a public school teacher. I've worked in, in that environment. And I've also been uh, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've had that privilege and that opportunity. I kind of took Paul's model as a tent maker early on in my life to, to try to pursue uh, you know, serving the Lord while also supporting myself and my family in terms of that. Uh, I read this this morning. So this is like fresh off the press spiritually. Uh, in my morning devotions, in the Lord, I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And I don't know if you're like me, but I have felt like the last three years, a lot of foundations have been destroyed. I feel like there's been a lot of things that we took for granted three years ago that have just like fallen apart around us. And early on in the pandemic, it was brought home to me just how like dramatic the changes were in our in our world. If you look back over the last three years, I know if you're like me, I've had a lot of uncertainty. I've had a lot of fear, a lot of anger, a lot of frustration. In the first month or so of the pandemic, I had three deaths of people who I was either very close to or who I knew in a very close way. The first one was a man who was just a little older than me, somebody I had known in high school who had married a high school friend of mine, and he had died of COVID. He was one of the first people I had ever known to die from COVID. He was, from, a, from, from my perspective, a relatively healthy person. And when he passed, it was like so dramatic, and it brought home just how serious a crisis we were facing. Because... He had gotten it on the subway. He was riding to work in New York City, and he his wife said to me, you know, there was somebody coughing behind him. Mm -hmm. And within a few days of that, he got very sick, and within a week, he had died. 
And I just remember how like devastating that was, especially because you could probably remember too, we were like in lockdown. We like, I never thought going to ShopRite would feel like a life-threatening experience. But there it was, you know, right for me, that's how it felt like all masked up, gloves, alcohol, everything. Shortly after that, like like talking like within a week, I, I get a phone call that my my brother-in-law's nephew died of a drug overdose. He was like 27. He had grown up with my kids. They had known each other since they were little. They played together. We had done vacations together. We spent time together. And just getting that phone call, just hearing that this young man, he died in the back of a laundromat of a heroin overdose. And I thought to myself how much that became symbolic of the last couple of years, right? The United States has a very dubious uh, milestone. And that last year, uh, we had the most overdose deaths ever. 100,000 people in the United States died of drug overdoses from April of 2020 to April of 2021. And he kind of falls into that statistic. And I know that some of you probably know of people in that situation, probably have had people that were close to you, people that were maybe even relatives of you who have had that experience. And then I had another close friend of mine, again, like within a month, call me up and he said to me, Ken, listen, I'm dying and I want to die well, so I want to say goodbye. He lived in New Hampshire. We had not really been connected for a few years, but we had known each other for over 30 years. He was a good friend of mine. He was the kind of person, maybe you've got guys in your life like this, that no matter how much time or distance passes, when you get together, you just pick up right where you left off. And that's how Bill was with me and my wife. In fact, my wife thought of him as her older brother. Because he had gotten saved right around the same time as my wife. And they had uh, been friends back then. And and we had remained friend over the, friends over the last 30 years, almost 40 years, really. And he was a real cut-up. You know, he was a real cut-up. And he was just the kind of a guy that, that he, you know, he knew he was dying. He had basically stopped all of his medications. He, was, uh, he had had diabetes, and he had cancer, and he basically made the decision that, you know what, I'm stopping dialysis. I'm just, it's, it's, this is the end. This is, this is the time. I could postpone it for another six months with all kinds of, you know, interventions, but I'm ready to go home to heaven. And so he basically got his house in order and, and was calling people and talking to people and saying, and saying goodbye you know, to everybody. And when you go through those kind, and that all within like, within like, I would say less than a month period of time, it was just those blow after blow after blow. And then all of the chaos that followed, it, and you look around and you say to yourself, Lord, it's crazy. It, and, and you start to wonder, like, where is, like, the foundation? The psalmist was going through, like, all kinds of trouble, and he says, what can the righteous do if the foundations are destroyed? And it's like he answers his own question in, in Psalm 11, verse 4. Like he answers his own question. He says, 
The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. And I guess one of the things that has been sort of a chorus for me, a mantra, if you will, over the last few years, has been the Lord is in heaven. Like all the nuts and craziness that's gone on down here, he's not touched by it. He's not touched by it. And all of the insanity that we've been experiencing, it hasn't. It's not insane to him. Now, I have to tell you that as I look back over the last few years, I think to myself, have I really handled things as well as I could have? And the answer is no. Have there been times I've been more afraid than I should have been? Absolutely. Have there been more times I've been more worried than I should have been? <laughs> I shouldn't worry at all, right? But we find ourselves worried. My, my son called up uh, his mother the other day and said, Ma, does dad worry about finances ever? And my wife's response is, oh, you should talk to your father. <laughs> and when I was talking to him, like the joke in my family is, is that, that when my son was born, my brother-in-law said to him, as a baby, he's holding him in his arms. He goes, Jonathan, you've got nothing to worry about because your dad is already worrying about it. <laughs> that was true. That is true. I mean, I believe all of us have besetting sins. All of us have things that we struggle with, that we, we, we labor with, that we have issues with. For some, it might be greed. Some of us, it might be lust. Some of us, it might be like gluttony or maybe we have a gossip issue or there are some sins that we just struggle with. Well, for me, it's been worry and anxiety my entire life. It's been worry and anxiety my entire life. And of course, like I, I've lived long enough now, I can kind of detach and step aside, take a look at myself and say, okay, why has this been a problem? Now, you have to understand that a pandemic is a perfect storm for a warrior. <laughs> it's a perfect storm. I mean, I can catastrophize just about anything. <laughs> And what do you do when you're living through a catastrophe? And that was, you know, the last experience over the last three years. I understand why, why that is. I understand why I am the way I am, because I'm an adult child. I'm an alcoholic. I grew up in a classically dysfunctional home. I had an absentee father who was also an absentee husband. And when I was growing up and I was becoming an adult, I was trying to figure out how to navigate life, how to be a husband, how to be a father, and I looked at my own experience from the family of origin, and I'm like, ah. and, it, and it was like this revelation. I says, I know exactly what I'm going to do. I'm just going to do the exact opposite of my dad. Whatever my dad did or didn't do, I'm just going to do the opposite, and believe it or not, that worked for me really well. But you know, the idea of being abandoned, the idea of having this great insecurity, this idea of, you know, having things not be in your control, you know, as a child growing up, as a young man growing up, wondering what disaster I was going to face when I came home with my mom and how was she going to be, what was her emotional state and taking on that and trying to own that and trying to help her navigate her emotional well-being. Meanwhile, I got three younger siblings who are dealing with this in their own ways and so you kind of like, you know, control is a big thing. Of course, if you know anything about worry and anxiety, you know that's the heart of it, right? 
That's what really drives a warrior. They're, whatever's not in your control is going to cause you anxiety. And it was like a revelation. Hey, nothing's in your control. Now, no wonder I'm worried all the time. And I remember a point in my life where I was sitting there thinking to myself, you know, Lord, I don't know what, like, what is going on in my head. And, and, and it's one of those things where I think back about over the last few years, and it's the thing I've had to keep reaffirming to myself. It's the same truth that I've had to, like, say over and over and over again. And it's like, okay, I know why I worry, right? But that's not good enough. <clears throat> and many years ago, when my son was just born, I was going through deep, deep, deep. I won't say it was a depression, but it was a real deep anxiety period in my life. It was really strong. And, and, and you guys out there, you can understand, right? Being a father, first-time father, it's downright terrifying. I'm thinking to myself, they let me go home with this thing? <laughs> I'm like, what? And then you couple it with the fact that I didn't really have like a really good like role model in my own earthly dad. And I really didn't have like that kind of input to really know how to be. And that sense of like, you know, I could never call my dad if I got into trouble or if I ran into problems, if I got a flat tire, he was not the go-to guy. I'd call my friend's father's. And I remember feeling so anxious, so worried, so afraid. And I remember like God, it, was, it wasn't audible, but it could have been. When he said to me, I'm not like your dad. I'm not like your dad. See, my dad never kept his word. I literally adopted a framework where if he told me something, I would say, great, dad, that sounds great. We're going to go do this on Saturday. That's great, dad. And in my heart, I just said, it, it, it's not going to happen. My default was never to believe him because I had learned that if I believe him, if I trust him, if I rely on him, I'm going to be disappointed. So better not to expect anything from him. Of course, that really makes trusting God hard. Because everything about our relationship with him is about taking him at his word. In spite of what's going on around us, right? I mean, there are going to be times in our life where the, the world around us and the world within us is going to be screaming, it's not true. Why are you still believing this? And yet it was so clear to me that God said to me, I'm not like your dad. I keep my promises. You can trust me. Now, I wish I could tell you that from that moment on, my walk was so solid. I never had any problems. I was always trust. No, psh, you would know I was a liar if I said that. But what that moment did give me was a place to go back to. 
every time I'd wander off that spot, every time I would drift. And I'd be honest with you, man, the last couple of years have been really hard for me emotionally. I'm a teacher. Let me tell you, teaching with these on mm. and trying to have a hybrid class where I've got one student in front of me and eight students on a computer screen is like frustrating to the point of like, why am I bothered doing this? Where people in my own profession, I'm embarrassed about some of them because you still are so terrified. You're so afraid of everything. I can, I can feel your fear. I did. But listen, I understand why. They have no God. Our society has no God. We have not. I mean, has anyone talked about providence in the last three years? Has anyone actually mentioned the idea like in our past, there were people who would get up in the time of national crisis and say, even though we're facing this national disaster, whether it was war or whether it was <coughs> natural disasters in terms of the environment, hurricanes, tornado, and get up and say, we trust in providence. Not just that, even naming God, but just we trusting him. No, it's just absent from, so no wonder we're a neurotic society, paralyzed by our fears. So I get it. We have a father in heaven. We have somebody who is caring for us. You know, when my brother-in-law said to my son, you have nothing to worry about because your father is already worrying about it. I said, wow, God, that's so true in so many other ways. Like that's why Peter could say, cast all your care on him. Because he's already worried about you. So as I share with you this morning, I think about what it means to be living in this time period with the foundation so rocked with so much sorrow and loss and grief and anger and frustration. I think to myself, what do I do? Well, I, I reaffirm what I know to be true. I have a father in heaven, and he cares for me. We realign our priorities. A lot of people have done that over the last couple of years, right? I love this quote by Augustine. I just read it this past month. When we ask whether someone is a good man, we're not asking what he believes or hopes. <coughs> but what he loves. And I thought, I said, that's so true, isn't it? Like somebody who loves themselves, we don't think of them as a good man. We think of somebody who loves money or loves popularity or loves things. We don't think of them as a good man. We think of good men of people who, loves, who love their spouses, who love their children, who love their God. And I says, Lord, what, do I, what have I grown to love? Have I grown to love my security? Have I grown to love my safety? Mm. Am I a good man in that sense, Lord? You know, my dad was a very flawed individual, as I've already shared with you. But he and I reconciled as the years went by. The Lord really helped us to reconnect on, on, on some level. 
And he only stopped drinking because the doctor said, if you don't stop drinking, it's going to kill you. So he stopped drinking. But he got diabetes, he had hypertension, he had a bad heart, all, all these things. And he was trying at the very end, near his end of his life, he was really trying to, to reconnect with my family. And the last message I got from my dad, he called up the message on my phone. He says, hey, Ken, I want to take you and your the Rose and the kids out for dinner. I want to go to this new Italian restaurant that I just found. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay, Dad. That sounds good. And then he died like two days later. And I thought to myself when he died, you know, Lord, you saw what he was trying to do, but he ran out of time. It wasn't like you were going to let him make up for the lost time. And as I've gotten perspective, as I said earlier, there were lots of things in my life where I really thought about my dad as I'm going to do the opposite. But as I've looked back and I've gotten some perspective, you know, there are certain things about my father that I've really grown to admire. My dad was the kind of person that whenever he met you, you were never a stranger. There were no strangers in my dad's life. He would talk to anyone. I mean, much to the embarrassment of his wife and kids, like he would just strike up conversations all the time with people. He was Mr. Personable. Everybody was like his new best friend. He was really gregarious. He was a great salesman, a lousy businessman, if you know the difference. He was a great, he could sell you an air conditioner in January. I mean, he was really that good. And I've really grown to appreciate this, especially in recent years. There was never a moment where I ever heard a racist thing out of my dad's mouth. I never heard him say a racist thing. In fact, he never in all my memories, treated anyone other than who they were in front of them. And so as I've lived my life, I said, you know, Lord, there are a lot of things that my dad did that I definitely am glad I didn't do. And there are a lot of things he didn't do that I'm certainly glad I did. But there are some things, Lord, I really wish I had more of him about. And isn't that the way it is with us? You know, we think about our Father in Heaven. And, of course, we just want to be like Him, right? As my life progressed as a father and a husband, I began to realize that I don't have to just approach marriage and parenting from a negative perspective, right? And I said, you know, Lord, you're the best father. You can teach me how to be that. You tell us that marriage is supposed to be a portrait of your relationship, Lord Jesus, with the church. Help me to figure that out. And so, as we think about our lives, we think about the impact we have on people, 
we know that there have been foundations destroyed. We know that there are things that will never be the same again, whether it's because of loss or because of grief or because of the change in our culture. We understand that we're living in a different world than we were even five years ago, much less a generation ago. What, what kind of men will we be? Well, people will know that by the things we love. Will we love him? Will we love his word? Will we love his people? Will we love our spouses? Will we love our children? That's really what's going to determine whether or not we are good men. Right? And I, I, I would wager that everybody in this room wants to be a good man. <clears throat> they want to be a, a person that people would think of in that way. I just want to close with this uh, hymn I came across. Just I'm not going to sing it, but trust me. <clears throat> and then I'll leave you guys with a couple of questions to discuss at your table. But I look at this as a prayer. It actually is a prayer. Many of our hymns are prayers, actually. And sometimes we forget that when we're singing them, that they're actually prayers. So sometimes having them read to us is actually better than singing them because we don't get caught up in the music as much as we are able to focus on the words. O Savior Christ, our woes dispel. For some are sick and some are sad. And some have never loved you well. And some have lost the love they had. And none, O Lord, have perfect rest. For none are wholly free from sin. And those who fain would love you best are conscious most of wrong within. O Savior Christ, you too are man. You have been troubled, tempted, tried. Your kind and searching glance can scan the very wounds that shame would hide. Your touch has still its ancient power. No word from you can fruitless fall. Here, in this solemn morning hour, and in your mercy, heal us all. As you are sitting together and fellowshipping with each other, you might want to ask each other and ask yourselves, in your own life, what foundations have you felt undermined, if not destroyed? Where have you felt like the earth has shifted underneath your feet? And then as another question to consider, how has the Lord revealed himself as your father in the midst of all of this that's gone on? Has there been some experience that you can point to in spite of the shifting foundations underneath you or around you that you've been able to find again? Better? And if not, that's good to share too. Like if you're in a place where you're like, I, still, I wish I could say that I have found God that way, but right now I don't have God that way. That's okay too. Don't, don't feel like there have been many times this year where like, I'm like, God, where are you? I really feel like a blind man right now. And I can't see you. I can't hear you. I'm deaf and dumb. So that's okay too. You might not have found God yet, but maybe even being here this morning might move you in that direction. Father God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the honor and privilege to call ourselves sons of the Most High God. Father, 
in spite of the chaos and the pandemic and sometimes uh, the earth shifting under our feet, uh, you are still in control and you're still on the throne. Father, we thank you this morning for uh, just giving us some time with uh, our brother Ken, uh, being able to be um, real and raw and uh, share his own um, even insecurities uh, to help us dig a little deeper into our own. Father, we thank you. We ask you to bless he and Rosa and their family and uh, just allow whatever conversations that took place today tables to resonate in our minds and hearts and to, uh, to challenge each and every one of us uh, to make some changes, to learn to depend on you, to take you at your word. Father, we thank you. We ask you to bless each and every uh, household represented by these guys and uh, just uh, bless each and every one of us with a great day. Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.